My guest today is artist and entrepreneur, JJ Weinberg. Duchamp didn't come on and say like anything but flip a damn urinal, right? You know what I mean? So it's like people aren't thinking like that. They get into that the bubble and they're just doing what everybody else is doing. And it's like, don't you understand that a banana duct tape to a wall sold for $175,000 or whatever it was because of its story? Hello, NFT land. It's me, Second Realm, a.k.a. Eric Paul Rhodes. And this is the Out of Realm podcast, where we talk to artists and professionals in the NFT space. My guest today is JJ Weinberg, and we discuss everything, including what he learned in art school, his startup, Artunity, which supports artists, and his latest NFT project, the Non-Physical Wrestling Federation. As a quick reminder, this podcast is ad-free, and the way that we get support is from listeners like you. If at any point you find this content useful, please take a screenshot of the episode and text it to one friend who you think would also enjoy it. Now, thank you for joining me today, and let the show begin. Hey, JJ, welcome to the show. How's it going? Fantastic, man. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. We've chatted before. Yes. Uh, sort of just, we're just sort of getting to know each other. And I'm excited for people to get to know you as I've gotten to know you a little bit. Uh, I think your story is really interesting. And you're the kind of quality artist that we need in the space, the kind of energy you bring. And, I appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to sharing that. But as I do with all my guests, I start in their youth somewhere. So tell me what like nine-year-old JJ thinks of who you are today. Oh man, nine-year-old JJ says, I told you so. I was 10 years old when I told my mom, I'm going to the American Academy of Art in Chicago, mom. And she said, yes, you are. That's fantastic. Let's do it. So for me, it's like I'm a Sebastian in the never-ending story, calling it out. And uh, that's what my life's been like ever since serendipitous event after serendipitous event, the way that we met each other, how yeah. it happens. It's just all magic to me. So uh, 10 year old me is like, in one way, looks at the work I'm doing and says, man, that's amazing. I think, you know, because of the, the time and patience it takes to get to a certain level of discipline, but more than anything is just is excited to know that the vision materialized. So so you had this vision of being an artist at nine uh, mm -hmm. or and at 10, you told your mom, you're going to go to the American Academy of Arts. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. In Chicago. Yep. In Chicago. And what is, I don't know what the American Academy of Arts is. Primarily, it's really more of a commercial school. It's right up the road from um, the Art Institute. And it's, you know, it's more commercial based. So my degree is actually in illustration. Mm. I went there growing up. I was drawing comic books. You know, a lot of comic books. That's my definitely what I was doing. And so going in, I'm thinking all through my youth, I'm going to draw comic books. I mean, I, I had plans to open a comic book store when I was 10, 11, 12. I grew up in an entrepreneur family. So it's like I get kind of both worlds and both hemispheres of my brain working. A lot of artists don't, you know, but, uh, you know, I grew up like one of my investments when I was 13 years old, I bought. 20 copies of spawn number one you know oh nice and they're all and i have them all still they're in mint condition now, i'd have to get them like i'd have to get them graded and everything like that but you know i was always thinking that i was going to open a comic book store like right outside of my in my backyard build a shed 
this whole thing. But it's like I grew up in an entrepreneur family business. So it's not too odd that I would think that that was something I could do. But so I would go to art school thinking I'm going to draw comic books. Then I get to art school and everybody there is wanting to draw comic books. And I'm like, okay, I got to I gotta switch gears. Oddly enough, that's when I started doing music was when I was in art school. So I have like, a, you know, a career as a musician for a time too. But uh, yeah, I think the American Academy, again, is a primarily a more of a commercial art school. There's some alumni, actually, uh, Alex Ross, you might be familiar with his work, Alex Ross from the comics. He's an alum from the school. He would come back often and like get free models, basically, because people are geeked out that Alex is coming into the school and like, hey, I can take some photos of you and then you can be in my next comic. So it's like he gets free models. They get to be in a book, you know, uh, best of both worlds. So <laughs> did you ever have the opportunity to model for him? I didn't. I, that was me being a, uh, against the grain again, where I'm like, I'm yeah. not going out and going to be like a starstruck, you know, whatever, whatever. Get out of here. You know, yeah. my friend did, though. My best friend, Tony, he uh, he's in one of the Batman books. So it's pretty funny. That's cool. Yeah, super cool. So you went to the academy. You got your bachelor's degree? Yes, in illustration. Did you go and get a master's at all? Nope. No. Actually, I started to see the... Um, I just started to see the... Actually, I only have my associates too. Not my bachelor's. I apologize. I need to correct that. I just saw the like, the light at the end of the tunnel for... I think a lot of what was happening around me in the school and stuff. I was seeing what people were doing and what they were working on. And I'm mm -hmm. like man, I just want to get into the world with this. I don't need to go to school anymore. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, it's a piece of paper and people want to see your work. And I just felt like, plus the school is mad expensive. You know what I mean? It's a private school, very yes. small. So it just, it kind of didn't make much sense to stay in the school system anymore. And I was doing my music too. So it was weird. I like kind of shifted gears a little bit. So... So do you think, I mean, obviously your school had a, a low teacher to student ratio if it was small. Yeah. Do you think you learned more about being an artist as a professional artist in school or out of school? I learned two major things in art school. One, I learned to trace, which most people think that that's the cardinal sin of mm -hmm. art. And in my illustration class, it was like, never draw without a reference. I don't care if you're doing something hyper stylized, get your reference material. And then if it comes down to you're doing something realistic, get your lines on by tracing them first. You can worry about rendering later, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, fair enough. If, if you're going that route, you know, as far as the realism goes, which was obviously a shock to me because, you know, growing up you hear don't trace, it's a bad thing, you know? Uh, so that's one thing. And then the other thing, which really kind of it has to do with art, but it doesn't. It's a little bit of a story. My life drawing professor, Dr. Trapp was his name. I don't know what any of Dr. Trapp's work looks like. Like right back there, I can see your logo. You know, sometimes we have our work around us and we, sh you know, especially if you're like teaching or whatever, you might have a lot of the other teachers, they had their stuff up around yeah. the classroom. But I'd never seen to this day, I've never seen any of Dr. Trapp's work. And he also wouldn't like really show any of our work. Really strange. But so when we get in, I'm, I'm with my best friend, Tone, and like we're looking at our level of stuff. We're drawing the human form. We both were drawing comic books a lot. And I start to see like 
the people around us in class just weren't at the level that we were already at with the human form. So we kind of started skipping class. We're in Chicago, hanging out downtown. Like, yeah, you know, we'll go back and forth to class, whatever. But then we would also like seat into other classrooms where some of our other peers were. And I would go into the classrooms and see the teacher's stuff hanging up all around the top of the, the room. And then I would see the, the way that the instructor was working with the students. And they'd sit, like they would sit down on the work and like erase and, you know, redraw something and say, see, and like, okay, cool, cool. Well, what had happened is about two or three weeks into classes, started to see people in the other classrooms like progressing pretty quickly. So like two months in, these classes, the other two life drawing classes were just like really cranking out good stuff. And we're like, whoa, what's going on? We better get back to class. Well, the people in our class still kind of sucked, to be honest, you know? Yeah. And so we're like, what is going on? But what had happened is I would watch these other, all of these other kids progressing and they all started to progress towards a similar style, towards a stem, like a similar vision, you know, come back to our class and you've got Dr. Trapp saying, you know, I remember as a kid, Phil, he was like, yo, can't you just show us what you're saying? Can't you just draw it out? Because he would never sit on our work. He would never tell us anything. He would just say, is that how you really see it? Yeah. Is that how you really see it? You know, and then like he would never sit on our stuff, never draw, never correct that heavy. And um, Phil one time said, can't you just show us what you're saying? And he said, if you cannot see it, what is the use? You know, and it was such a like, I don't know, kind of it's like a badass thing to say. It's like some sort of like cowboy thing to say, like John Wayne. Of course, he was like a Austrian professor. But like the notion of if you can't see it, what's the use? I guess what I'm saying is because we talked about this a little bit even before we got on, that it's not just about even the art. It's about our stories. It's about our lives. Yeah. You know, and that informed me so deeply about how we learn and how we interact with the world. Because what he was saying is like, it, like it took, it took longer, but eventually all of the work in our class started to progress. But then each piece looked distinctly different. You could see the individual. So these other teachers were working well but they were showing their students how to see the way they see. And so that's why they started to look similar. Whereas ours, once they finally caught, all had their own unique vision, you know? Yes. And so I thought that was so profound that Dr. Trapp said, I'm not going to teach you even how to draw. I'm not going to teach you anything. I'm going to ask you, how do you really see the world? So all he would do is ask us if it's how we really see it. And he would stop us because he would know that we were being lazy. He would know that we weren't looking and we weren't observing the world around us correctly, but not give us the answer, but say the answers in you. So I think with the other teachers, what was happening is they were putting the answers in, which is very traditional and the, especially in the American educational system, whereas Dr. Trapp was trying to draw something out of us. And I just thought that that was so beautiful and uh, something that I learned from to this day. There's, you're telling me this story and I can't help but recall a quote that I carry with me. It's actually up here. Uh, the great aim of education is not knowledge, but action. Nice. Yes. And it's by Herbert. His last name's Herbert, I think. But anyway, the point is, I think the difference between the American tradition and what your doctor was teaching you was taking action to create the art, not 
learning how to trace your yes the previous teacher's sure. own way of viewing the world. Absolutely. So how did you take that that lesson into your career as an artist? Well, I think I for one thing I I look for things and try to see things through my own lens. So I had a conversation I popped into, you know, randomly as it says into this clubhouse room this morning. I'm a Android user, I'm a PC yeah. user. Another place where I buck the um I go against the grain. I know I'm an artist, so I'm supposed to use the Mac ecosystem and I never have. And then I heard about Clubhouse with this whole NFT space and like the communities building up and stuff. And I'm like, all right, I get an iPad I, from a client, just the way it worked out. Coincidentally, I get this iPad and I use it to just get on Clubhouse. It's the only reason why I'm getting it, right? And so I was in this room today only because I was in a room last night and I heard that it finally dropped for Android. So I was taking the dogs to the vet this morning and I'm like, well, let me, let me see what's going on uh, if I can access it on Android. I drop in, I drop into a room with this guy, Dominic, and he's a digital artist, but he sells prints. He's a, he's a Comic-Con kind of guy. He's got about 95,000 followers, you know, and I knew him immediately because my, my buddy, who's also an artist, Clinton, he's bought a bunch of his work oh, and nice. And so I'm like, dude, this is so crazy that I'm seeing him in this thing. So he's like, yo, jump into this other room with me so we can talk because he's just getting into the NFT space. Yeah. And he's struggling with some of the like, especially at this point in time, even in the clubhouse and the ecosystem. It's like there's so much. I, this is what I love about watching your Twitter feed, too, because you're always like, get off my fucking lawn with your nonsense. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. Like the whole point of this thing is liberation, is freedom, yeah. is like no holds barred, which I have to tell you about my wrestling project, as I say, no holds barred in the NFT space. Don't I'm let taking, me forget. I'm not, I'm taking a note. To, <laughs> to but so what he was seeing is there's so much protection and these people are kind of like trying to direct him into like, yo, don't worry about the followers that you have. You need to abandon that. Just get into the NFT space. If they don't get it, forget about them all this and that. And I'm like, yo, man, that's so that's wrong. That's so snatch and grab. It's yeah. so like low level energy. Like people are just getting into this. They're getting into this bubble. And it's like, you're changing your art even for it. It's like, I mean, I get that you need to be aware of what's happening. I'm all about trying to piggyback with authenticity. But if you're dropping your authenticity for it, so the, the longer way around that, what I'm saying is, is that Dr. Trapp says, again, is that how you really see it? You know what I mean? And so yes. I got a bunch of tracers. We got a bunch of tracers in the NFT space that are hating on anybody that might squash or might conflict with the way that they're bringing in their resources right now. And they just, they shit on it. So it's like, I'm going to do a project now with Dominic Glover's his last name. You can find him on Instagram. I'm going to do a project with him. I'm working on a project with another guy that I met in a clubhouse, Lamore Supreme. He's a super dope artist. He's down to earth, just super cool. He's got about 55,000 followers. He's done some really impressive work for like Zarface is a character he helped create with Inspector Deck from Wu-Tang Clan and some other hip hop artists. And so he's got a piece on a Spider-Man piece that he just painted in acrylic that he's selling off of his Instagram. 
And so we got a hybrid thing that we're working on with my Artunity platform and his piece and NFTs. So it's like, yo, this is the time where we're going to come in and just hit from all angles. We're going to hit with, it's like the trash art stuff. I know that you're into that, that whole angle, you know, yes. it's like Duchamp didn't come on and say like anything but flip a damn urinal. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, people aren't thinking like that. They get into that, the bubble and they're just doing what everybody else is doing. And it's like, don't you understand that a banana duct tape to a wall sold for $175,000 or whatever it was because of its story, yes. because of its legacy and the way that it hijacks. So one of my, my first project, and I've already sold two of them, is an NFT. It's the non-feelable tickle. Yes. So it's <laughs> like... A, every time... I'm sorry. Every time... <laughs> <laughs> every time you mention it, it literally makes me laugh. That's the point, right? Yeah. It's like, so if it's making you laugh, then it's working. So then it's like, it's, it's, I'm trying to mess with the meta. I'm poking fun yeah. at the NFT space, but at the it's same like, time, I'm trying so, to make a story. Yeah. It's so ridiculous, but it's not, it's so right. art, <laughs> but it's, it's like, I mean, just fucking, I love it. That's I love so everything cool. about Thank you. It. Yeah. So like I've sold two of them already. Mm -hmm. The third one's going to move this week. It looks like. And I just want to, and, and I got, I don't know if you've seen the video yet, but Drake Bell, who's been a, a big supporter in the NFT space, has a little ditty that he wrote about it. It's ridiculous and hilarious and super catchy and it gets in your brain. So I'm like, yo, Drake, I'm thinking like telling him that once this goes and it becomes a story, then we got to mint his song about it. And he's got to, you know, use that too. It's just, it's so like inception. It's so... Uroboros goes back to the never-ending story, just yeah. this like snake eating its own tail, art imitating life, life imitating art, chicken and the egg, all that stuff. It's like that's that's what I love to get into. The dream. I used to say that I'm living the dream to people. And now I've been saying in 2021, I've been saying the dream's living me. I've flipped it. That's what it feels like. It feels like the dream is living me. I'm just a character in it and super grateful, you know? Yes. So I have, I have two things I want to touch on. The first sure. is Clubhouse. Yeah. My frustration with Clubhouse is that there can be some good information on there. Right. But a lot of it is people just repeating what they hear. Sure. And it's a lot of new people in the NFT space that don't have any of the historical perspective. Right. So... I've come across some people who are who are presenting themselves as experts on Clubhouse and they all seem to talk about NFTs as if they start at people. Right. Right. And the problem with that is you miss the entire conversation about NFTs in 2014, NFTs in 2016 with Rare Pepe's, the mm -hmm. early Mooncats and even mm -hmm. CryptoPunks while CryptoPunks are in the conversation. They've been around long before people, right? 2017. Right. They were the reason that the sure. 721 standard exists. Some of that conversation gets missed. And then what happens also, because I'm biased towards trash art, is the conversation about what is art in the NFT space mm -hmm. has already happened with trash art. So like we've come up against the, the push on gatekeeping and people telling us this is how art is supposed to be. 
This is what art is supposed to look like on in the NFT space. And we're just giving two middle fingers up and we're like, get off our fucking lawn. Yes. Right. It's like we decide what art is or isn't, you know? Well, it's an obscene notion anyway, because the question of what is art in general has never and never will be settled. That's part of the art. That's part of why Correct. it is, is because yes. the question won't be settled. And we can all come in with passion. We can all come in with perspectives and come swinging into this thing about what we want to advocate for. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there is no answer. And so it's like, it's ridiculous notion to take even something specifically that was the whole intention is to ab- like just completely abolish the notion of gatekeepers and yeah. then reestablish a gatekeeping thing. I guess it's just human nature because people are territorial primates. They're apes, if you will. See what I did there? Apes. We know that that's a whole thing. And, and again, I'm not, in, yep. saying, I'm not saying that the trends aren't like I've got one that I remixed for a purpose. But it's like it's same like with you. You're doing you're doing the unofficial punks for a purpose. For and, a purpose. Yes. It's what's the story. It's what's the story. Just all it is is like, yo, tell me your story. And then if you got a story, then you're going to win. And if you don't, it, dude, it's so crazy. Again, back to the serendipity, listening to your, your last one. Well, it wasn't your last one, but the one with Matt Caesar. Yes. He's talking all about story. Bro, do you understand how fucking crazy that it is that you had just had Matt on? Did you see the thing that I did for my dad? The painting I did for my dad? Yes. The World Series painting? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, did I wrote a note here dad. to make sure we hit that Cubs painting. Dude, so is it all right if we talk about it right now? Then? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So like, man, I did that for him. My dad and I do not have the leave it to beaver relationship. Yeah. That was a healing totem for me. That was a, that was a, something that like they won. My dad has been a diehard, literal card carrying Cubs fan since he was 10 years old. Yeah. And, you know, You're rocking a Cubs hat right now. I got a Cubs hat on right now. Yeah, there was no doubt about That's it. When an I got Ernie Banks, Ernie Banks era. Hat, it's, huh? it's the old, it's the old school one. Yeah, yeah. So when I got arrested for this is a side note, but when I got arrested for climbing on top of a gas station to sing one of my protest songs, I had on my Cubs hat and my Cubs jersey because I, at the same time I had a beard and long hair and I didn't want to be mistaken for some you know potential threat on the top of the thing. So I wanted to be as Americana as I could. So yeah. I put my Cubs jersey on. Right. So all this stuff ties in, but. I, so I do this painting for my dad. Uh, his reaction is super visceral, super emotional. I get it on camera. I put it on Facebook. I put it on, you know, it starts kind of like catching. People are sharing it, commenting, liking, you know. It goes viral, right? It goes viral. I mean, and then I, I pushed it a little bit too. I don't know sure. if you're familiar with um, Ryan Holiday's uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying, The Confessions of a Media Manipulator. No. Buy it, read it. It's, it's I mean, astounding. I- I'm familiar with Ryan Holiday for sure. Sure, this but this book I'm telling you is like it's top notch. It's it's one of his and the funny thing is it's like I told you about the price gouging is the name of the song that I got on the roof of the gas station with like that was a whole story that I did before I read the Ryan Holiday thing but then when I got the book years later I was like yo this is exactly what I was doing. It's crazy just the so, way to hack the media. What specifically was your protest song about? Okay, so I know we're jumping all over the place, but in 2006, I wrote this song about the fossil fuel phenomenon. Yes. And it was very like, I tried to write it very Shakespearean. So on one level, the first level, it sounded like a kind of a tongue-in-cheek novelty song, like, you know, just easily dismissible as non-threatening. 
but the layers underneath it were like me criticizing and examining the social political impact, the financial impact, you know, what does it mean through history? And so like, I was kind of trying to say some of that stuff on the back of it. Well, when Elliot Spitzer got in trouble for yes. the prostitutes, yes. I was listening to talk radio at the time and I was hearing this story go off and I was like, yo, that's what you got to do. You've got to like stab somebody in the eye and then they'll pay attention to you. So I had this song written. The price of gas was going insane. I'm in Northwest Indiana, right outside of Chicago, you know, like 45 minute hour commute. And Barack and Hillary were both campaigning heavily in Northwest Indiana to try and swing the vote. And there was press here. So I saw all of these things converging and I'm like, all right, I'm going to get up on top. Of, I'm going to use this song as my civil disobedience story. It's a... Uh, it, what was what? How did Gary say it with his uh, ugly Christmas sweater? Um, it's just a hacking attention type of thing. You know what I mean? But I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get up on this gas station. I got a buddy that's got a bucket truck. We had a whole plan. I mean, like we planned it all the way out. And the crazy thing is, it happened. We we did it on the fifth of May, which is when Gary was trying to drop his project. So it's like all this stuff. These all these synchronicities. These numbers. I'm like, I believe in all this stuff just being magic. So I'm like, oh, that's wild. But so I get up on the roof of the gas station with the bucket truck, knowing that I can't get down. I've got like tiny pockets of what I now know are flash mobs, but it was just something I was coming up with at the time. They were both my like lookout to make sure there weren't police around while I was getting up yeah. and became like the flash mobs that came to. So create a thing and then traffic's backing up. People are honking horns, craziness. The cops come out. Then they have to send out a fire truck, you know, the whole nine yards. So I'm up there. And uh, afterwards, it was just like it went, it blew up. I mean, it was all over like first Chicago news. I was doing NBC and ABC local Chicago Tribune. It had a spot on like Good Morning America, all that kind of stuff. So it was crazy. I was doing radio interviews and whatnot. And that's when I started digging in a little bit more to the seriousness of what I was trying to say, mm. you know? So then after that, I actually rode a bicycle from basically Chicago to Washington, DC. I got a bike donated to me from Trek and rode it like halfway across the country to like kind of prove my point further because there were a lot of trolls. I mean, there's always trolls like yes. this, no matter everything that you're doing, there's trolls. They're going to be Absolutely. trolls that would come on and hear what we're saying right now. And they'd be shitting on me right now. So it's like I was trying to silence the trolls. I, I know it's an impossibility, but it's like I still always want to try and silence the trolls. So they were freaking out that I got up on the gas station. Well, anybody could do that. The classic, you know that you made some amazing art is when someone says, well, anybody could have done that. Yeah, yeah, but I did it, motherfucker. Right. You didn't. You know what I mean? So it's like, but still, I was like, I want to prove my point. So I got on the bike, rode it halfway across the country to say like, yeah, anybody could do this too. But do you have the cojones? Do you have the resolve? Do you have the passion to actually put your money where your mouth is to tell your story and to go on that adventure? What was the reason behind riding the bike? I just felt like it was... So the name of the band is the Energy Commission. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can show it to you, but I know this isn't audio, but there's the logo right there. Okay. The Energy Commission. It's based off of like a hybrid. It's on, his, it's on your forearm. Yeah, it's on my forearm. Well, because like the arrow points right back to my artery that goes right back to my heart. Yes. Right? I didn't get that until much later in life. There were like seven different people, fans that had gotten the Energy Commission tattoo. And I was like, 
all right, I guess I better show up. You know what I mean? So it's like, and it means something to me. Like, obviously it ties this whole story together. When I tell this story, I show it and say, everything comes from my heart. It comes from my purpose. You know, the Simon Sinek start with why. Yes. That's me every day, all day, you know? So riding the bike was a punctuation of the resolve that I had that was saying, yo, this isn't just a comedy bit. Although one part of it was hilarious. This is me saying, you know, one part of it was digital tickle. This is me <laughs> saying, I believe this. I believe in this. This is my campaign. This is my like road to the White House. Right. You know, that I believe in this stuff and I'm going to ride this bike. And, and like the, the Energy Commission, the notion that that's like, uh, like I said, this, the logo is based off, because I know you're a designer too. Uh, the logo is based off the power symbol, like that kind of universal half circle with the line on it. Yeah. And then the recycling arrow. So it's kind of like that recycled energy mm -hmm. that we can get when we like right now, you're, when I come off of this interview, I'm going to be buzzed. You know what I mean? Because it's an amplification. Yeah. It's feedback loop, you know, constant, constant. It just keeps building, keeps building. Are you, are you a natural extrovert? No. I'm so glad you asked me that. It's beautiful. First of all, I'm absolutely an introvert. Back to what you were talking with Matt Caesar about. And we got to get back to that, of course. Yeah, but, this is um, a good transition. We'll go right from here into back Matt Caesar. To that. Yeah. Okay, it's because it's, it's super magic. So, no, I was in art school. I went to an open house. I'm sorry. Right before I decided to go to the American Academy. I mean, I already knew. I told my mom from 10 years old, I'm going to go to the American Academy. Yeah. Well, I end up meeting my best friend who I end up making music with who I end up talking to you from. You know what I mean? Like I've got six degrees of Kevin Bacon I can do with anything in my life. And I think that's something that people need to do more often is if you, if you take a second and you pause and you look back at the last five steps that got you to where you are, the appreciation that will happen and like the magic that you'll see is just, it's almost overwhelming. It's almost, it's really almost overwhelming. Yeah. It's like I could tell you about the story with Gary Vee and how I met him. And that's again, one of these things that all ties in. Right. Yeah, we could get into that after we'll get we in, talked about the cups. Yeah, for sure. But so, so no, so I, I'm at this, this open house thing for the American Academy. And in between a session, there, we had this little questionnaire. It was kind of like an intake thing. And there was a question on it that said, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Yeah. And if you asked anybody, who is Jay Weinberg from, or JJ Weinberg from high school, they would say, oh, yeah, he's the shy, quiet art guy, you know? I've never had a drink of alcohol. I've never had a drop of alcohol. I've never smoked. I've never done any drugs or anything. And a lot of like that was weird in my adolescence. Part of that goes off with my dad being an alcoholic and things mm -hmm. of that nature. But so like that was a kind of a weird thing. Plus I moved to a new school. So I was really just kind of like the outsider. I was definitely an introvert. I would go in to paint, to write. And that's what I did, you know. But when I saw this question, knowing that I had a story to tell and that I needed to perform, that I was also kind of a natural performer. Mm -hmm. I saw this question and I knew that I was coming into my own story. And like Sebastian in the never ending story, picking a name for the princess, I freaking, I don't know if you're familiar with never ending story, but it's a big part of me. So I, I looked at that question and I checked off that I'm an extrovert. I decided in that moment that I'm going to be an extrovert, right? It's crazy. And so I have this saying that um, charisma is a self-perpetuating myth. Yes. And I think that when I made that decision, now I walk down the street and people look at me like they know me. They will give me the heads up. There's something about the way that I just carry myself because of this energy 
and I can't even escape it now. Now it's like it draws me into it no matter what. Yeah. That being said, I loved COVID the same way you talked about it in the, in the sense of being able to be introverted, not, not obviously the, that, the devastating impact, but what it meant for us to, to be able to go inwards. I'm totally recharged my batteries at home. I'm not an extrovert. So that's, again, that kind of goes into the Dr. Trap thing. How do you see it? Mm -hmm. And does it have to be that we're one or the other? Right now, you're in an extrovert mode. You know what I mean? I think it's just about finding balance, striking harmony with who we are as people. So I so, align with you on the idea of like choosing to be extroverted, right? Like I always tell people I'm a natural introvert and they say, really? Right. Really? I don't see that at all. That's because I'm not on, but like I've learned to be this. This, you know, this version of me is, is learned through experience. You know, it's not natural for me to get up in front of crowds and I would put these workshops on sometimes for five people at the most. I did one for 100 people, right? Right. It's not natural for me to be on stage, but I had to learn how to be on stage. And a lot of people in the business setting would look, look at me and be like, wow, you're an introvert naturally. Cause I would be honest and tell people that. Yeah. Cause when I went home, after being on all day, I have to go, I would go home and I would need to take three hours and just yeah. like go into quiet mode and sort of, you know, catch up. So I totally align with that. And what I love about talking with Matt was he is, I think, an, a natural extrovert. Right. You know, uh, mm -hmm. but he felt the same thing about sort of recharging. Sure. Well, I think I think our whole society, I mean, I've been saying that a lot for me and my experience in 2021 has been so miraculous. Yes. And I think that we've we cut from 2020. We're, we're coming off of what is if you look up the dark night of the soul, that's kind of what we've come through, not just from COVID, but like our social political turmoil. And it doesn't matter which side, quote unquote, because there always have to be sides. It doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you come from. It's traumatic and that trauma shakes us. And in that shaking, it always has us realign, recenter, ask what's important, you yeah. know? And so that all of this stuff is kind of bubbling up in positivity to me, I think is a reflection of just the, the dawning kind of, of a, of a new, of a new day. And so like with, again, with Matt, the, the serendipity of that and how crazy it is real quickly, actually to circle back when I chose that notion to be a extrovert that's how i met my best friend tony so it's like he's a super quiet introverted guy you know he wouldn't have reached out and if i was in my normal shell i wouldn't have reached out right and it just set the course for so much right so anyway i do this painting for my dad the the world series painting yes and it goes viral and one of the first things that people someone shared to me was did you see this guy did the same painting and it was Matt's. That was the first thing anyone shared for me. Really? Of, of, the, of, that, of that experience was somebody saying, look at this. And then like the notion that he auctioned it off at one of the Cubs charities. For 40,000, like, I think. Yeah, right? incredible. Yeah. It was incredible. So yeah. like, so then my story goes along with that. Like the whole thing with baseball, like you guys were talking about it. Like it's so huge in my story because with my dad, he, I think he, he had aspirations to be a baseball player mm -hmm. and 
he had a, a not so great relationship with his mom and there was some toxicity and none of it ever like he could never really chase the dream. And I think that like, for me, that kind of got shifted onto me at a young age, but my dad was not aligned. He was an alcoholic. He was violent. I mean, I remember being afraid of baseball when I was a kid, mm. like he would, he had a, he had a laser beam, like his arm, he could, I'm telling you, he could throw it from the outfield to the catcher in a, in a straight line. And so then when I'm eight, nine, 10 years old, he's throwing the ball just at me. And it, it was a very abusive nature. You know what I mean? Yes. And so, and, and in the way that that can materialize in our fear, like I can, I'll never forget my first t-ball game. I'm playing in the outfield, pop fly hits me right in the face. And I'm, I manifest exactly, you know, this fear, right? So that's why I'm saying this painting with my dad, it represents so much of an unlock in the what, energy field. What moment were you painting? Because you said Matt- it's the, it's, it's the World Series win when they're all like colliding up yes. on the mound. And because I saw it when it happened, I'm like, that's it. That's the painting. I got to do that. I just yes. knew like immediately that I had to paint it. Yeah. And um, but anyway, so one of the funny things is, and this kind of spills over into the business, of course, and where the NFT starts to collide with things. After that all kind of went, my girlfriend goes, why, why don't you put up a, a copy on Facebook garage sale? And I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I hadn't done any prints really officially ever with my work and, or anything at that point in time. And I'm like, all right, what the heck? So I put it up on there. And on this Facebook garage sale post, there were 555 comments saying, I want one, I need two, I need five. And I was like, whoa. And having the experience with the band, I knew I'd never be able to keep track of all this and meet these people and chase them all down. And I didn't have my website set up for this or anything like that. So right. I used the press and just some of the notions of you know getting things aligned. And I went to the local Barnes and Noble and set up a signing. And I, so then I talked to like one of the guys that had done some stuff on me for like Artunity and the band and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yo, could you put some something in the paper for me? And he, he gave me a story. You know, he asked me, he's like, well, what's it titled? And I said, it's, uh, it's titled Field of Dreams. I didn't know until that point. But I'm like, it's titled Field of Dreams. So like, obviously I could tie it to the film Field of Dreams. Sure. But for me, that's exactly what it was because, you know, the Cubs were the lovable losers for 108 years, right? Yes. But then the next day they're champions. And it's like, what is that but the artist's story? You know, have all the artists in our lives are lovable losers. You know, we pat them on the head. Not all of them, but a, a lot of us are. You know, it's mm -hmm. where it's like maybe next year, next year, next year. And then one year it just changes for you. And so it's like Matt was a part of that even in every way. Like Rizzo and Bryant changed my life and they don't even know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Wilson Contreras knows because like after that I started doing charity work with different things. I did a painting for my brother. This goes back to Madigan and how crazy it is. I did a painting for my brother because his birthday is February. So it was right after that whole phenomenon happened. Mm -hmm. And so we had this experience. This is so cool. You'll love this as a baseball person too. My, it was me and my brother and my sister and my mom on this group text chat. And the Cubs are going, they're in the World Series. They lose a game in Wrigley and they're going away and and or no, they lose the games 
what was it in Cleveland, Dave? Down three to one. Down three to one. Yeah, and we were gonna, we were going to come. My brother lived right across the street from Wrigley, so you could throw a rock at it. It's right there. Well, we were going to go up and watch when they came back into town, watch the game, and it was like they lose the game. He's like, you know what? Don't even bother coming up. I can't. I can't handle it. I'm not watching. I'm, I'm sick. It's just, I'm not even going to watch the game tomorrow. Yeah, know? they're down 3-1, right? They down 3-1. So he's like, I'm just disgusted. Yeah. I can't even do it. I'm, I'm lost. But like all Cubs fans, the next morning, he says, tonight, and he sends, <laughs> he changes his mind, of course. <laughs> tonight, he sends a clip of Rocky, right? And it's like, okay. And then I send a clip back. I think the one I sent was the, it's not about how hard you hit, but how hard you get hit and keep going. So we start sharing Rocky clips back and forth because this is a big part of our like family thing too with my dad and stuff. And so we're sharing these Rocky clips and we're like, okay, now we're getting pumped up. Yes, yes, yes. Well, they win the game naturally that night. Come to find out that Rizzo did the exact same thing that my brother was doing. He came out to Eye of the Tiger but beforehand, too, the, in the clubhouse, he came running in with uh, American flag boxers on yes. and had like Rocky clips playing on things. This is before the game. We had no idea that this was happening. And so when I saw it on the news the next day or my brother did, he shared it back to me. He was like, what in the hell is going on? So I did this painting for him. Uh, it's got a huge Rocky in the background. And then Rizzo's like uh, at bat just swung, you know, probably hit a homer or whatever. You know, there's a shot actually in that game of Rizzo. He got a double and he's like throwing gloves on second base. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Giving props. So they said that that was the moment that turned their morale around. And I was like, how magical is this? That that's the exact thing that happened with us in a personal experience. So I painted that for my brother, the Rocky Rizzo piece. And two parts of craziness in the synchronicity. One, when I saw Matt was on your show, I went and looked up some more of his stuff. And I see that he did a painting of Rocky as well, which is like so dope. And it's like probably because of that experience. I'm sure. You know yeah. I mean? And then another thing is my brother had that, that painting being right across the street from Wrigley. He had it up in his window for the longest time. I had a guy find me to do, a work, do some work for his charity. And we ended up making some money for his charity because he saw that painting in the window right across the street from Wrigley. Wow. And found it on Instagram just by looking Rocky Rizzo because it's the only fucking Rocky Rizzo painting probably that exists. Yes. He finds me. I didn't even know. We did the whole charity. And then later on, he goes, you know how I found you, right? And I'm like, no, I actually, I never thought to ask. I probably should have. He goes, I was walking outside of Wrigley after a game and I saw this painting of Rocky and Rizzo and was like, what the hell? That is the coolest thing. And that's how I found you. So that's the magic. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, it's unbelievable. I don't know. Well, you put it, you obviously put a piece of your, your soul and your fandom into these. And, and I believe that, that the artwork expresses that. Thank you. Yeah. Energy, the energy, the artwork sends its own energy out into the universe with people that connect it. Well, and the big thing too, is like I said, the story, right? So it's like, even though this painting I did for my dad, it may not be my best painting ever. I had a certain limited amount of time to work on it. I mean, it's a pretty good painting, but I I still had a limited amount of time to work on it. It's not necessarily the best sports painting of all time, like as far as technical skill goes. But let me promise you, let's mark it down. It's one of the most monumental stories of any piece of sports art ever. 
Yes. Because you can't create the story. You can't fake the story. You know what I mean? Like even people, like we, we look at the people, like you said, and it, it took off and it did its thing. The one thing that people forget about people too, is that it didn't just take off because like it happened as an NFT. This is a dude that's been doing this for a decade plus consistently Every day. doing what he's doing. You know, yep. so you can't fake that. You can't overnight that thing. No. And so the story that goes with my piece, so like one of the things that I'm doing, and at, if I got a second more to talk about that, we is no one, can, <laughs> no one else, no one can buy that piece because it's my dad's. Yes. And when my dad passes, it's going to go to my brother. Yeah. This is a family heirloom. It's I, priceless. There's no amount of money you could offer me right. for, this, for this painting. Yeah. You know, I got to, millions. It doesn't did, matter. Uh, didn't you... When we last talked, it was sitting over your right shoulder, right? You, yeah, it's back in my closet right now because my dad's in the nursing home right now. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, like, we're, you know, I've got it here. I'm protecting it for the time yeah. being it's until we see if he's going to get out or maybe I'll take it there even so he can have it there. That's cool. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... Th so, what I'm doing with this piece, because it is such a story and mm -hmm. I know that it has a monumental legacy to it, I made more money selling prints of that piece probably in a day than I did the entire year prior off of like my, wow. the re my regular work, my nine to five. It was the crescendo and the opening and the unlocking for me and the permission and the universe and the, the, the whole thing saying, this is what you do now. So that this piece made it onto ESPN, didn't it? Yeah, it was on SportsCenter's Top Plays. So I got to tell you, okay, so I meet Gary Vaynerchuk, right? You had yes, Gary on. this is the story I'm waiting for. Yes, dude, that's why we're talking right now. Yeah, because I met Gary and for I, I've been following Gary from probably like real, like maybe 2012, 2011, somewhere around there when I first discovered him and it just resonated so much with stuff that I'd already been doing and like his notion of gratitude. You've heard me talk about that a hundred times here. Yes. Like I was like, this, this is it, man. Like this is a kindred spirit. Um, so I'm like, I, I had this thing. I actually did this kind of Ted talk at a university locally and it was on gratitude and serendipity. And so it's like, I call myself a wizard of intentional serendipity. And I say that gratitude is my alchemy. That's my spell. That's how I, that's how, that's the incantation of how I make this, you know, come to fruition. And in it, I mentioned uh, Gary, actually, in the in the talk, because he talks so much about gratitude. And one of the things that he says is how uh, 400 trillion to one, you've probably heard him say that 400 trillion to one are our odds of existing as a human being, right? The thing is, he's actually got it wrong, because I found this statistic, it's even more insane than that. The number is actually one in 10 with 2,685,500 zeros behind it. So the statistician who put this up says it's like, uh, I think it's like 200 million people getting together in a spot with each, each of them have a trillion sided die and they roll it and all come up with the same number. So basically you're a mathematical statistical impossibility, right? Human existence is a mathematical statistical impossibility. Absolutely. Well, well, specifically your individual existence. Individual. Right? Got it. Okay. Yeah, your individual existence. So for me, I call it the Jupiter effect. I had this experience when I was in art school. I was skipping class one of those days. I'm sitting up in the window and I'm watching. It's Van Buren and Wabash is the street right off of Michigan Avenue. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking. It's the middle of winter. And I'm watching like the traffic go. I'm just getting in this zone, this kind of trance. 
And I see this car stop at the traffic light at Wabash and Van Buren. And I'm like trying to get into that guy's zone in his head. I'm like, I wonder if he's late for work, if he's mad that he caught this light, you know? And this is the thought. This is the intuition. It's speaking to me. And I'm just listening to the whisper in the wind, right? And then this bike messenger, he rides right down this path. And 15 seconds after he passes this exact path, a four-foot icicle from the top of one of these skyscrapers falls. And I'm just, it would have impaled him. It would have been the most gruesome, horrific thing that I've ever mm. seen. It, like final destination is exactly what it was. So yes. I saw this icicle shatter right in this man's path and thinking like, yo, if he didn't stop to tie his shoes for the third time and he was frustrated because those damn new laces that he has won't ever stay tied. Like if his, if his rescue dog didn't piss on the kitchen floor and he had to clean it up before he left, you know what I mean? Yes. That icicle would have impaled him. And so immediately I was just struck. I'm like, man, this is insane. And so that same night I go home on the Discovery Channel. I see this story about Big Bang and that Jupiter's placement in the solar system, that if it were an inch to the left or right of where it was positioned at the time of the Big Bang, that life on Earth would have been impossible because the ash, the gravity of Jupiter, some of the asteroids, some of the debris that it caught in its rings would have smashed into Earth and it would have made the atmosphere not possible. So I was like, yo, that's, that's what I just saw this morning. That's the Jupiter effect. That's what that is. That's, that's a sign of love through science and through gratitude. And so it's like when you tap into that, you can get into intentional serendipity. This is what I'm talking about on my talk, right? And I mentioned Gary. This guy comes up to me after the thing and he goes, he goes, yeah, man, Gary's so dope. I love him. Listen, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk to him one of these days here soon. I got some stuff I want to talk to him about, you know? It was mainly Artunity. I wanted to talk to him about my platform, Artunity, you know? So I'm like, I know I, I'll, I'll get into it one of these days. I was at a card show, a card show, right, of all things, because I'm selling prints of this Cub stuff and these baseball yeah. card collector guys like, hey, you want to come and sell some stuff here? I'm like, absolutely, let's do it. So I'm at this card show. I had done an illustration of Gary, right? It was, I didn't know how I was going to get in contact with him though, but I had this illustration. It was him as a kid with his hand, his arm resting on this huge King Griffey Jr. rookie card that was sitting on my bookshelf for the longest time. So this King Griffey Jr. rookie card sitting there and I'm like, why is that there? Why have I kept this for so long? I'm not a King Griffey fan, but it was a rookie card. You know what I mean? It's was kind of like, his tops are upper deck too. Yeah, uh, the Don Russ one, actually. Uh, so yes. not one of the more valuable ones. So, but it was still there as like a totem and as a memory of like my time with baseball. You know, I mean, like even this, my mom got me this. I know that we're on, we're not on camera right now, but the value of courage that we had these value books. It's a book right. when we were kids. Yeah, it's a children's book, but the value of courage is the story of Jackie Robinson. Yeah. So if you look at my artwork now, and people say, yo, how, when did you get woke? I grew up in a town that the Grand Dragon of the Klan lived in, in Indiana, like a wow. small hick town. But I had, by, when I was 13 years old, I went and saw Spike Lee's Malcolm X. You know, yes. I had Malcolm X posters. I was making Malcolm X t-shirts in this hick town because I think, I'm guessing, the Jackie Robinson story inspired me. You wow. know what I mean? And so anyway, and of course, my mom's an awesome humanitarian angel. So that's naturally going to play into things. But so I, I'm at this card show, right? And I get this 
alert on my LinkedIn. And it's from, you know, just a suggested person, whatever. So I'm like, I always accept, you know, more network, the better. So I go and I look at this guy and his name's Jason. And I won't put his name out. I don't know if it matters, but I'm like, I look on his thing to see how I, what, where he's at and whatever. And it says seven years, seven and a half years at VaynerMedia. Yes. And I'm like, yo, what is going on for real right now? I'm like, what? So I start, I start inbox messaging him, you know, and I'm like, yo, uh, da, 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 da. three or four e- like messages. I'm, I'm like real low key too. I try not to bother people. You know what I mean? Because I'm just like, well, what happens, happens. It'll happen in time. But this was one I'm like, yo, I'm going to chase this one down. Yes. So I kept, I kept pestering him. And then eventually he's like, yo, I'm so glad that you kept sending me messages because my LinkedIn was on the fritz and whatever, whatever. So he's like, I'm no longer there. But he's like, but I can connect you with his assistant, Tyler, if you want. And I'm like, yes, please. That would be fantastic. Right. So he hits me up with Tyler's email or whatever. And then Tyler and I start talking. Super cool. Tyler's just a dope dude. Super down to earth. uh, That's that's who I worked with to get Gary on the show. Very, very good. So like, so like I'm talking to Tyler. I show him the image that I did for Gary and stuff. And he's like, yo, what are you doing? I think it was December 18th. It's a few days, six days after my birthday. And I'm like, uh, I'm free. What's up? And he's like, you want to come up to the office and visit Gary? And I'm like, hell yes. Very cool. So I flew into New York for a day just to go, go meet with Gary, you know. But I get up there. It's funny because I get up there. I get into the office. And, you know, it's a little bit quiet, which I know Gary doesn't necessarily like the quiet. He had a meeting and he had two meetings. He was in a meeting when I walked in, in the kind of, you know, that glassed off room that we're all familiar with if you watch any of Gary's stuff. Yes. So I was so, super familiar with it. I see him in there. But like I turn around to kind of talk to Tyler some more, you know, I'm like, yeah, Gary's there and we're going to talk. But like, what am I going to just put my face up against the glass? Whatever. Who cares? Like, that's cool. We're going to get to that, but I want to know more about Tyler. So we're like, we're talking, talking about his family, talking about like his interests and whatnot. So I'm turned around completely kind of ignoring Gary in this, in this moment. Unbeknownst to me, he's getting done with this meeting while I'm turned around talking to Tyler. And all of a sudden I feel this smack on my ass. Yeah. And I'm like, what was that? I turn around, Gary, who's never met me. That doesn't even know who I am. <laughs> smacks me on the ass when he walks by. And I'm like immediately being as, you know, extroverted when I want to be as I am and bombastic and knowing Gary's uh, energy, I scream almost. That's it. I'm filing charges, sexual <laughs> harassment. People are like looking around like, what is going on? You know, so it kind of caused a little bit of a stir up. But then Gary goes into the office and uh he just looks at me and winks at me through the window, like super funny. He has this other meeting. So he goes into that meeting and then, I, you know, I'm still talking to Tyler and stuff. And I'm like, yo, so um, I don't want any cameras. I don't want to do the show thing. I just want to talk to him. You know what I mean? He kind of, I think he kind of looked at me, maybe like had three heads and probably not many people say that. I mean, honestly, I don't even, I didn't even get a freaking selfie with Gary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm like, it's cool. I feel like this will circle back around at some point. I'm not worried about it. So you it's were good. You were even now correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you were trying to make more of an effort 
to make this a genuine personal connection. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. And so it's funny that I've mentioned the never ending story so many times because I know he never, he, he talks about Zane. He talks about his kids a little bit, but obviously tries to completely keep them out of that public space, you know? Yeah. But yeah. so I like, I know that he talks about him and I know his, his connection with like pop culture and all this and that. So being that it was around Christmas time, I brought in a gift for the kids too. Oh, nice. So I brought, I brought a copy of the never ending story. Cause I'm like, yo, if they haven't, if you haven't got them into the never ending story yet, like this is a big, to me, it's like, it got me on my philosophical journey from the time I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old asking, what is the nothing? What does this mean? So it's like, I'm like, yo, that's got to get through. I give that to people though. I give that to my friends. You know what I mean? Like I'm not starstruck to meet Gary. He's super badass. There's no doubt about it, but it's yeah. like, he's a dude. We're all, we're all people like, and, and we just, I don't get starstruck people. either. Yeah. Yeah. We got to appreciate people. Yeah. Like we, we should appreciate everyone the same way we appreciate a star. That's the, I guess the difference is that I appreciate everyone that way. I try to, you know, meet people on that level of uh, excitement. But so, yeah, I go in there. The funniest thing is knowing Gary, how competitive that Gary is. He had on his ugly Christmas sweater that day, serendipitously, his Nick's ugly Christmas sweater. And I had just caught a little bit prior to that the video where he was talking about how he's like, this is my friend's attention arbitrage. And he talks about how he got on sports center for a little clip because he was at the Knicks game courtside. That's why he wore the ugly Christmas sweater. And then he gets on a little bit on the thing. So I sit down across the table from him. He's like, what's up? Talk to me, man. Tell me what, what can I do for you? And I looked at him and I go, I got you beat. And he goes, what? What do you mean? What? What's that? What? I was like, I got you beat. Yeah. He goes, come on. What do you mean? What do you mean? I go, you know, you got on SportsCenter, but I got on SportsCenter's top plays. And then I showed him the video of my dad and the reaction, the whole thing. And he was just like, oh, dude, that's so dope. You know, kind of gave me a high five. Yeah, yeah. And it was super, super cool. Super fun. Great exchange there. And then, you know, I wrapped with him for a little bit. He, he had to go quick. It was a super quick meeting. The, the only thing that I guess out of that, after that meeting, though, um, I kind of stopped I didn't watch as much uh, content from Gary, to be honest with you. Kind of like grounded things for me a little bit, I think. And I, I brought him the idea and the concept of Artunity, which hopefully we can talk about a little bit here. Yeah, absolutely. We should and, do that next. Um, I just feel like he missed it, you know? And he loves to be right about shit. You know what I mean? And yeah. granted, I get why he might have, because one, we didn't have a ton of time. And two, he might have seen me just as yet another artist. You know what I mean? That like has this thing. But to be honest, like when what I see year? What year this was, was this? 2017. 2017. Yeah, I remember from my chat with him in 17, he wasn't paying much attention mm -hmm. to the crypto space other than currency. Sure. And and even the art space, really, because he was focused on some other things. Which is he went natural. on to I'm, say that, yeah. It's 100% understandable. But yeah. like when I see him and like Mark Cuban, both of them like, like freaking out about the notion. Yeah. of an artist royalty being a part of this NFT space. And like, that's in my business plan for Artunity from 2016. Yeah. Like the way that the platform was to work was to always bring artists, was to, to like, cause the NFT thing, I wasn't, I was aware of it on the fringes, mm -hmm. but I wasn't super, super into it yet. And the, the only place that I really had much of awareness with it overlapping with art at that time was in the whole notion of buying, like kind of buying, 
shares of paintings. You know that whole yes, uh, the the kind of the like yeah, kind of buying a share of the Mona Lisa type of deal thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like in that regard, I was just like, eh, that's not going to affect the artists that I'm that are on the earth right now. You know what I mean? Like we, I'm worried about us. You know? So uh, when I so anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. When I first heard of NFTs. What was interesting to me was it made sense to me that provenance and physical artworks would go together. I had, sure. a, hard, I had a hard time, a harder time understanding how it could make digital art more valuable. Valid. And that, yeah. And yeah. And then it did. Like once I started sure. playing around in the space, it's almost like you had to be there, like messing with the, the space a little bit to really grasp it. Sure. But it seems to me that you understood that early on. Yeah. I mean, once I saw it, then it clicked immediately, you know, and I started already seeing the opportunities to kind of, mm -hmm. well, because one of the problems with Artunity was that it was always focused more on tangible yeah. goods, whether it was a painting but or a sculpture. What is Artunity? Let's so Artunity creates the opportunity for you to donate to an artist for a chance to win a work of art. So what I want the full platform to be is mm -hmm. like Instagram meets GoFundMe with the Las Vegas twist on it. Yeah. You know, but there, it would also be a, a curation platform. So the Instagram aspect of it is cool for the artist, but then for the collector, what it would operate more as like a, like a Pinterest board. So right now what you would see is that goes to that provenance thing, right? So it's like, if you just like something of an artist, then it's going to hang in your gallery as a like, maybe like a like gallery. If you actually donated to a piece, then you would already get this provenance of saying, yo, I donated to this thing. And before the NFT thing, people weren't getting it. I'm going to investors, like they want to see traction. It's like, yo, I, I can't put the cart before the horse. I need the technology. You know, I, I did raise $100,000 to get the first version of it built. It wasn't yeah. enough to like, get it all the way across the, the finish line. So like, I'm still struggling with some, some things there. But the, what I have now is something that I can kind of get some of that traction. We'll talk about that. But essentially, if you donate to an artist, and then if you actually win a piece, so there would, it would be called the Gold Frame Gallery. And this is from 2016, where I said that if then that person, let's say you're a barista. I've got one artist I'm talking to. She has 305,000 followers on Instagram. She sells work for $30,000 a painting, right? 304,998 of her followers probably can't afford the $30,000 painting. Right. But if she put a $30,000 painting on Artunity, never devalued her work, kept it at that high level, but then democratized it by saying, here, I'm going to let every one of my passionate fans donate two bucks to me. And one of you is going to win this for $2, right? Then that barista has a $30,000 painting. Now, you could say one, provenance, flex, this is awesome, a hero of mine. Or two, yes, I'm a barista and I want to go to art school too. I want to put this back into the Artunity system and have it sell so I can pay for my art school. And in that regard, that's when the artist was going to get the royalty. And it's like, so then I hear this freak out from like, that's when I reconnected with Gary because I see him on your show. Yeah. And I'm like, Yo, Gary's talking about NFTs and he's freaking out about royalties. I'm like, bro, I sat across from you. I get it. We had three minutes and I wasn't expecting there to be this explosion. I guess what I would have hoped was that we could have continued the conversation a little bit sure. more. So, but I get it. He's 
super busy dude, million things. You can't catch everything. You know what I mean? So now I'm just in a space where I'm like, I know it's going to circle back when it's time and it's proper and it's ready. And here it is. Like the whole thing is just the whole road is being paved. So like a funny story, I was been talking to Tyler this whole time, you know, and right before COVID, I told him, and you, this is a story that, that involves you directly, Eric, like right before COVID, I tell him I'm going to do this piece for him because I'm doing the sports art. And like, because he's just been such a cool dude and, and a huge part of my experience and a story, I'm like, I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to do this piece for Tyler. And it's of Joao Felix, his favorite soccer player. Well, COVID hits. I get behind the eight ball with a lot of work. I don't get this done for pretty much all of 2020. I get it finished up this year, mail it out to him. I'm telling you about this from the first time we talked. And you were like, wait a second. Didn't Gary just buy a Joao Felix baseball card, soccer card? And I'm like, dude, that's insane. You know, for like twenty two thousand dollars. Twenty two thousand. Yeah. yeah. And like, come on, my work's better than that. <laughs> yeah, we we looked at that. It was it wasn't even a, a baseball card, it was it was a digital card from the so rare platform. Right, sure. So naturally that's where it's 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 its energy comes from. It's why yeah. it makes it what it is. But I didn't get to finish this thing because I go on this tangent. When I see this Jason come up in my email, the LinkedIn connection that gets me to Tyler, I, I went off to where that went, but I didn't say how I was connected to Jason. Yeah. So I don't forget people. I, I'm definitely remember people, but I never really met this guy. So I'm like, how do I know him? I'm going in my Gmail and I find that I've actually emailed him two or three times. I'm like, how do I not remember this guy? Well, it's because I never actually talked to him. And he was just, he was an assistant for this PR agent that we got. I'm not going to put people on blast, but we had, we had a commercial. We had a song that went into a commercial overseas. It scored us a pretty hefty sum of money. And my thing was, we always put it back into the project, always put it back into the band, right? So we had these stories. I had done a goofy viral music video about modern warfare. We had the gas station protests, all these different like stories. We were playing at the House of Blues in Chicago. We weren't just in the cornfield anymore, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, well, let's, we had this commercial overseas. Like, let's take this money and let's put it into this publicist. So thinking you can throw money at a problem is the exact, <laughs> it's such a wrong way, but you have to learn sometimes the hard way, I guess. So we dumped $10,000 into this PR agent and got fucking goose egg. Goose egg. What were you I'm looking to you, do? What's that? What were I you just, looking like, to just, get out of I was it. hoping to advance the story in a more like, like uh, more through professional, like again, like the way I hijacked. So when we look at the, the viral video with my dad, it was it started going viral, but then like we shared it to some low level, I mean low level in a derogatory way, but just they don't have a ton of followers, Cubs, you know, groups and stuff on Facebook. And then we shared when that group shared it, we shared it to a higher group. And then when that group shared it, we shared it back to the places that did me that did coverage for me and like the Chicago Tribune and NBC. And then so you keep hacking up the line until then it's on Sports Center's top plays. My thought was, well, you've got the connections, you've got the validations, you've got the work here. Now you can get me those connections faster and, and right. get it into the right people. And we just got nothing. From, like literally feel like we got nothing from it. But the crazy thing is, four years later, 
I get a, a LinkedIn suggestion for this Jason guy and he's at VaynerMedia and I come to find out the reason why I was connected to him is because he was the assistant to this PR person that we spent 10 grand on four years prior and I thought I got nothing out of it. So that is again, the Jupiter effect, the alchemy. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful, man. And that's yeah. why I'm talking to you. It's just, I mean, it's immeasurable. So you did you did get something out of it 10, I got something four years it. later. Four years later. And yeah. not in the way that I thought, but it was right no. there. So it's too yeah. beautiful, man. Yeah. Wow. We're talking about Artunity, but mm -hmm. um, how is your wrestling project related to Artunity or is it not? It won't be only in the sense that all ships rise with the tide. We'll get into that wrestling thing. One more quick touch on our tunity yeah. the way i'm trying to 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 use it to hack the nft space and and overlap mm -hmm. um so i think i talked about lamore a little bit ago what we're doing with one of his pieces we're going to put an actual painting of his on our tunity when i told him about the process he was like yeah i dig it and i know why it would work for some people but he's like i just i don't i want my people to always get something you know when they when they're paying something even if it's the littlest amount of money and I'm like, well, that's cool. That's why we're talking, man. That's why I'm developing this. I want to understand and learn with you how to make this work. So I said, what if they did get something then? I said, what if we, what if we raise the stakes? We put the entry price at 100 bucks each, and we only have 10 entries. So you got a 1 in 10 chance of winning for 100 bucks. But every person who doesn't win gets an NFT mm, of the nice. piece. And he's like, dude, let's do it. And yes. man, I, I mean, it gives me like, again, Gary with the goosebumps things, it just might get so electric. This thing that I'm working on with my 3D guy right now, it is so fucking dope. It's like, it's this gold box because Artunity, the name comes from like being a songwriter. I had 300 names written down, all contrived, all clever, trying to be smart about this. And they all sucked. You know what I mean? But then when I got out of the way and let the, the, the muse take over, it hit me. I wrote the word opportunity on a page because I was like, this is an opportunity for new artists, an opportunity for new collectors. It's an opportunity for artists that are established to collect with their fan base in a different way. It's an opportunity. I look at the word and I'm telling you like a freaking wizard spell, like watching something on, uh, uh, what the hell is that? Harry Potter, that, that middle O of the word opportunity turned into an A, like before my eyes on the paper. And then the first O turned into an A. And I saw the word app artunity. And I'm like, bro, come on. That's what I'm creating. It's an app. And then it's artunity. And then the compound word is art and unity. Yeah. And then if you look at the AU is in the symbol for the logo is the periodic table element symbol for gold. I'm like, this is just charged with purpose. This is my raison d'etre. This is part of what I have to do in my calling. So gold is a big part of what we're doing. Like I said, the gold frame gallery signifying that you would want a piece. So we have this gold box and I've created a new genre. You're going to love this. You, you're, we got we to gotta, like, do some work together, like art, because that's what this is all about, right? Yes. I'm creating this new genre, essentially. It's like steampunk. Yeah. But I've looked it up and I haven't found it unless you can find it, which is cool too. I don't care if I'm creating it or not. But what it is, it's like steampunk, but it's digital meets magical. So it's like, it's got like, we've got this circuit board and it's got this crazy like flux capacitor type of thing. You can probably see the flux capacitor I do, yes. over my yeah. shoulder. 
that's a part of an opportunity donation thing that I've got set up for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. That's a whole nother story. Anyway, um, it's got this like magic flux capacitor. It's got like these Skyrim like flasks with magic juice flowing around. And so it's this circuit board that's embedded in this big gold block. And what it does is we've got this animation where it's sucking the painting into the gold block with this like magic spell. And then it like connects and then it spins around. And on the back side, it's going to have his name, Lamore Supreme, the title of the piece. And then it's going to have the, nom- the name of every person who donates. It's going to come in like Elvish, like Lord of the Rings. Dude, it gives me fuck. Oh, man, I'm so charged. That sounds it. cool. It's yeah. so exciting. So then and then we'll have Artunity on the bottom. We'll have the like little links to the QR codes where you can pull back to knowing that this is your NFT. But not only is the provenance of you owning it as an NFT there, you're actually going to be inscribed on the visual representation of the NFT, dude. Tell how me, cool is that? Tell me how cool is that, right? That's super cool. So that's what we're doing. And, and that's where I'm saying like, so this is where NFTs, so we're going to be able to give those NFTs. He's going to have to worry about shipping. He's just going to say, yo, look, the obstacle, the barrier to entry, if you're not in the NFT space, you might not understand it all the way and getting in the Coinbase, getting your MetaMask, shipping over, having all the gas fees, being like, why the hell are people taking my money? Those are obstacles. Those are barriers to entry. Yeah. So here it is instead. Yo, all you're going to have to do at the end of the day, I'll walk you through easy enough to walk 10 people through setting up a MetaMask wallet mm-hmm. and then I just gift it to you, right? So it's like, yes. boom. That was one of the things, uh, one of the reasons I started Tater Tech and the People's Potato. Right. Was it was a social experiment, except I was trying to hack the idea that already existing, already people, people already existing in the space would help their friends who weren't in the space right jump on board by making the people's potatoes so cheap sure. that nobody wants to give away their their Matt Kane or their you know Trevor Jones or Beeple sure. or Pack. But if they have something that they bought for four cents at the time, right. Very easily could share it with your friend and give them their first NFT and then yeah. show them how to onboard. So I love that concept. I love the idea of being able to onboard uh, new people into the space. Well, it's like your it's like your crypto or your yeah, it's like your um unofficial punks, right? Yeah. It's like, well, here's this thing and like Gary said on your thing, it's like this is the the clash, it's the spin-off, but it's super dope and, yeah, the, it's, and its, its own catching. thing. It's its own thing. Yeah. And it's it's art doing art again, you know, and yeah. reflecting. And so what I was wanting to do and and I think we talked about this a little bit and we could put it down for real, for real right now, is have you do, Van Gogh is the, is the, um, the poster child of the starving artist, right? And yes. so he's, he's basically my mascot through all of the branding and everything from him hopping in a DeLorean and coming back to 2021 and seeing that NFTs and Artunity are a thing that can end the myth of the starving artist. You know, so my thought is like, yeah, let's do a, let's do a second realm Eric Spin, fuck yes, fucking Van Gogh, crypto punk, and uh, unofficial punk, and let's put them on Artunity, and let's let's fucking raffle them off and let people let people just get a, a chance to win them. You know what I mean? And yeah. even if they're not in the crypto space, they can donate with their fucking PayPal, and that's it. That's it. I love it. And it's go, it's go, go. I yeah. have another thing, which this brings this brings me right back to the wrestling. Yeah. So my brother has done. He's, he's an artist, but he, he's, he's a comedian more so. He went to Second City. 
He's just a charismatic dude, super funny. We've not got to really work together on a lot of things over time. And he does paint and stuff though, but his art is like, it's kind of like that it would be considered like maybe trash art or mm. Basquiat, uneducated, but like just super raw. You know, I mean, Picasso said that he learned to draw like the masters by the time he was 13 and it took him a lifetime to learn to draw like a kid again, right? Yes. So, yeah. So that's what we see in Basquiat, him saying, well, I'm going to skip that master stage maybe and just go straight to knowing how to draw like a kid and show you my genius. Well, my brother does work like that. I feel like it's, it's super raw. And so I was telling him about NFTs and I'm like, yo, man, the trash art, the stuff, I'm like, there's no reason why you shouldn't just get on. Like, 100%. let's get you on. So we started talking. One morning we were talking and I was trying to walk him through the notion of how the, some of the mistakes I made early on. But, you know, just the idea of getting an OpenSea account, getting some crypto, getting it going. And we're talking. And he said to me, he said, yeah, it'd be super cool if um, I could do, we, he's like, we should do a title. Because we used to do, like, wrestling was huge for us. I mean, if you look at my, my official art page, jjweinberg.com, like, I have a whole stream of what I call political kayfabe, where I took, like, wrestling characters and mashed them with contemporary political figures, you know? And the whole concept there is like, really, I think politics are just wrestling. You know, they go backstage, they're all on the same team. Let's not go down too far and rooting for one guy or the other because they're all kind of in the same space. So I've been doing this with wrestling. We always watched wrestling growing up. Big, big part of our thing. Favorite and wrestler so, before we go. Favorite wrestler growing favorite up. Favorite wrestler. Man, Stone Cold just comes to the top. I, I don't know if he's my favorite, but right off the rip, I have yeah. that's just my first one. I'm gonna just go because, old school. Ricky I, the Dragon Steamboat was my that's, favorite wrestler he, of all he time. He was for sure. For the for that era, he would have been one of my tops for sure. Too. Yeah. And then yeah, um, also Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Oh uh, yeah. How about the missing link? I mean, nobody even talks about nobody talks about unknown. him. Yes. The parts unknown, weight unknown. Trust me, dude, the missing link is going to be a big part of this, where we're going with this conversation. <laughs> it's fucking radical. So my brother says, we should do a title, you know? And I said, yes. I said, wait, no. Because like we did like rock, paper, scissors title, and it would always transfer around all this stuff, the culture build up around it. I was like, no, not a title. Not a title. Dude, we're going to make an entirely new wrestling promotion. We're going to fucking take Vince McMahon down with our NFT wrestling promotion. We're creating the non-physical wrestling federation. There it is. There it is. Oh, I you know love it. it. I, I love it. We've got the million Dogecoin man is already, he's already scrapping with. I mean, I know this isn't on. Oh, got back my some. God. There, come down a little bit, Dogecoin. There's the million Dogecoin man. This is this is his this not his gonna, first appearance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share you some a, links after. I'm gonna this. take a screenshot of this and Screen, include duck it. down a little bit, Dogecoin. He's he's not Perfect. in his full gear. He's normally in his suit and everything. But this is the million Dogecoin man. The rumors are that it might be Elon Musk. Nobody knows for sure yet. But he's on mass. <laughs> yeah, who knows what he's doing right now? But uh but uh he the funny thing about the Dogecoin man is he never actually he never actually has any speaking lines. His whole thing is like, you know, the Doge memes with the like, wow, such, you know, whatever. Dude, we've got wrestlers that are going to be cutting, pro like real wrestlers are going to be cutting promos against our 
created characters. The, our other one of our other first people is Cheeto Santana. Yeah, I, I won't. My give mother's my mother's favorite wrestler growing up was Tito. Tito, see, so we've got Cheeto Santana. Yeah, the rumor is there. People think that it's Donald Trump in a mask. They don't know for sure yet. <laughs> We'll see. You'll see. We're going to leave it up to Dude, people to decide. I'm kind of so excited. I'm so excited for you for this. This Dude, is amazing. Can you, can, you, can you believe it? I mean, yeah. we're going to do this. So listen, here's how you're going to get involved, though. Let's do this. You ready? Okay. Yeah. So one of the characters that I've already created, and I could do it myself, but that would be stupid. We're on a magic journey together. Yeah. You've got to create CM CryptoPunk. Yes. Yeah. You know who CM Punk is? Yes, the, I do. From this yeah. new era? Okay. So CM CryptoPunk is going to be a character, naturally, and you're going to create him, and we're going to animate him and shit. The only way he'll ever exist is through the animated version of the CM CryptoPunk. I love it. You can mint him as a token. My goal, and Dave and I's goal with this thing is, come on in here for a second, Dave. So this is my brother, Dave. What's up, Dave? How's it going, man? Yeah, so... Good to meet you, too. So one of the things that we really have as a goal with this, and this is where we go back to, like, yo, you are not thinking big enough with this NFT thing. You're just not thinking big enough. You're not thinking like a real artist. You're getting caught up in these little veins that are popping up and trying to just follow the bandwagon, right? So it's like, this thing is just gonna blow the roof off. Yeah. Because what we really want is I wanna get a couple of these wrestlers cutting these promos first for us. But what I really want and what Dave and I have talked about, what we really want is for this to be a way that they can actually meant they can get into nft space they can become their own they they like we'll get the win from them being attached to the non-physical wrestling federation yeah but mainly it's like they're gonna win they're gonna get their royalties they're gonna be artists making their promotions and because that's the best thing about wrestling anyways the promos and the stories of course actual wrestling but we've got ideas for that as well of course i'll send you some links we've got we've already got the belt created the nft the non-physical federation title is already in existence. Uh, I hope um, so. <laughs> I mean, it's like we got glossy, 8 by 10 glossies signed by the wrestlers as NFTs <laughs> will pop up. It, dude, there's so much. It's such a, it's such a riot. It's going to be so much fun. And that's where I'm like, once it goes, it goes. 8 and by 10 glossies remind me of such like late, late 80s, early 90s right? wrestling. Like Hogan. You know, it's exactly, dude. <laughs> so we're going to have those as like NFTs so like people can get on at lower levels, like you said, and just, you know, pay less to get involved, but help us build this insane idea and yeah. turn it into, uh, yeah, the non-physical wrestling federation. We got just wild ideas coming down the pipeline for it. So you said yeah. your brother, he's, you're a comedian. Uh, yeah. Not would like to try to say I would be, uh, I'm actually a restaurant manager. Uh, downtown Chicago. Yeah, right now he uh, manages at uh, Pizzeria see, Uno. You can see my face right now. It's really great. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm a manager at a restaurant downtown Chicago. So comedy has been put on hold, you know, due to finances. And just happened to sure. It has been put on hold, but that's where this is. That's where this is the freedom thing that we're talking about. Yeah. again. You know what I mean? Like when Gary said, like, well, maybe a guy that was a carpenter can become an artist. And it's like, dude, that's been again, that's been my whole thing with artunity that's what it was supposed to do is help that happen and i yeah. still think that once some of this some of this nft hype dies we're going to find ourselves back in the same space where it's like you still got to create stories and you still got to make yes. those connections and yeah. that's why i know artunity is valuable you know what i mean yeah but yeah. so like for my brother why this has been so uh, exciting both we've laughed to tears we've i think cried emotional like 
freedom tears of like how this could be something, how like he talked when he was young that he was going to be a wrestler. I mean, there we can find now if we can find old videos of him like elbow dropping pillows, that's something that will be valuable at some point, too. But but like the notion that he's going to be able to get into something and express himself and be creative and just open up the world while in the worst shape of my life while in the worst shape of his life that's one of his claims to fame right now yeah um as as one of his characters you know that uh it's just it's super exciting it's super empowering and i don't know i'm just geeked like and then again like gary he's gonna know it he's gonna recognize it too because it's like all wrestling baby it's 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 wild he's all about that pop culture oh yeah it's so fun wow yeah not physical wrestling federation Pay attention. We got some fun stuff coming up for sure. Insane. And I'm I'm totally on board with the uh, CM CryptoPunk and the uh Van Gogh unofficial. The Van Gogh. Punk. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We gotta this do both great. of those. Yes. I'm loving it. I was gonna ask you something else. It got me so excited about the wrestling. Yeah, man. No, so like so here's a funny thing, right? So um I did put the first NFT available up of it when we first made it like official was the april 10th was our actually our dad's birthday so that was kind of a a, a crazy thing and then i so i put it up for 410 eth <laughs> so <laughs> the very first piece of um the uh non-fiscal wrestling federation is 410 which is representation of the day that it came on so i don't expect it to sell but that's okay that's the point i want to hold on to it because i'm looking at the long game of this whole thing too that it has nothing to do with that thing selling. It's just the notion to say, yo, this is here. It's landed. It's for real. Pay attention because it's going to be super outrageous. And it, it, of course, it goes right in hand in hand with the um, the non-feelable tickle. That's one of the reasons why, of course, I think that it happened so quickly and took on speed quick for us. So, oh, the other thing I was going to say is every it, doge has its day. Every doge has its day. You see in the video, you're seeing that's the, that's his premiere video. Look at this. I'm pulling it up right now. Every Doge has its day. That's it. The million Doge coin. The million Doge coin man. That's him. So he's going to be beefing with Ted DiBiase here, like right off the rip. Love. Dude, wait, wait. It's going to be crazy stuff. Crazy stuff is coming. So one of the, one of the other things that is really exciting about this is we've, we both have an affinity, especially my brother, (laughs) for Andy Kaufman. And Andy Kaufman, can you imagine Andy Kaufman messing with NFTs? He would be doing what we're doing right now. And that's why it, to us, we're like getting to channel so many crazy things because Andy Kaufman with wrestling and everything that he did, it's just like, it's too wild. Like the stuff that we have planned for it is it's comedy meets like super meta questioning of what is art and all of yeah. that stuff. So what, you know, I, I, it brings me back to what I was going to ask you before. I think some people coming into this space are just doing what they see. They're creating mm-hmm. a digital asset and trying to just sell a digital asset. But you're expanding that into experience and yes. storytelling. And that's the next step, right? That's right. the step that the future artists of the NFT space, I think the most successful ones, will be doing. It's one of the reasons I started the podcast is to tell other people's story. It's one right. of the reasons I do both original art and also appropriation art. It's sure. to both to like tell my own story, but also to make fun of the space. Right. right? It's like, right. that's my story, but I don't feel like 
every artist coming into the space is taking the opportunity to think beyond it. Right. Well, it's like you said, if you win by making fun of the space in the space that you're making fun of, like how much <laughs> that's just insane. Yeah. That right there is part of what the uh, ambition is with the whole yeah. thing. You know I, mean, what I mean, I made the cra- here's the crazy thing for in 60 days, the first 60 days I started on official punks. Mm-hmm. I made $50,000. Right. It's incredible. Just thing. selling fake punks. So dope. So dope. So dope. So dope. But that but now you get to fuel that fuels your vision. That 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 just oh, that's, like everything that's completely you're doing with your re- podcast now. Exactly. Yeah. You th- I've said this recently so much. There is no better feeling. And this I think goes back to my Jupiter story. And I have to finish one more thing about that Cubs piece. This goes back to there's no better feeling, and you'll know this now hundred percent, than when you get to use your resources to put right back into the thing that you're using to create. There's like such a high level energy. There's a, such a buzz that you get from that because yeah. I think what I think it is, like we know, we know the vibe, but like I always try and break shit down. So I'm trying to understand why is that happening? And I always ask why, why, why try and go down another level. I think that it's because we're tapping into what conscious evolution would be, right? Because, yes. because it's like evolution does what it does, but this is awareness in evolution this is consciousness and evolution and this is saying i'm creating and by creating i'm creating and by creating i'm creating and creating and i'm in a dream and this is a lucid dream and i'm waking up to my lucidity in my waking life and i will keep manifesting and so it's like you tap into that notion that wait a second i'm just asleep somewhere in the mind of god and I'm dreaming this whole thing. And now that I know yep. that, I'm going to seed more into it, which goes right back to this last thing I wanted to say about my Cubs piece, right? I never finished it. That painting will never sell. Yeah. But now I have the opportunity to make a one of one for this exclusive story of this painting and make it an NFT, right? So I've listed this and I've listed it for an exorbitant price, but it's okay because I don't give a shit if it sells or if it doesn't, right? Right. What it is, is, and I am doing more with it though, which is super cool and I can't wait to show you. I've got, you know, those um, 3D crystals that you get like the um, family portraits, whatever, like inscribed in, etched in? Yeah. Dude, I got one done of my painting. That's cool. Dude, it, it, I, so here's the, here's the thing. They messed it up a little bit. They put some words in the wrong spot. So I, ha- I would have had it and I could have shown it to you right now. It's going to probably be coming in the mail tomorrow. The one that they did, they, they kind of messed up. And I want this to be a pristine piece of artwork because I'm only going to do one of those. Only one of those is going to exist. And it comes with as the token with the NFT. Oh, that's cool. So, but when you see it, like it's surreal. It's like what we're talking about. It's like having a dream manifest into the real world and become tangible because this is my painting inside of this time capsule captured in 3d space it's like you can move around it a little bit you can see it it's got depth and it's like so strange to see it in that form so i'm going to put it in there it's going to be on a little led base and it will have you know kind of like beeple's doing with his tokens where it has the qr code that links back to the nft so we'll basically say one of one you know field of dreams nft original here it is the price it isn't because I wanted to put an exorbitant price on it either per se, 
but it's because numbers mean things to me. Mm-hmm. It's 108 ETH. Like, duh, of course it's 108 ETH because it's 108 years for them to win the World Series. Yeah. And now if somebody wants to buy it, they could buy it. I'm friends in a crazy serendipitous dream that I could tell you. I'm One of my friends is best friends with Tom Ricketts, the owner of the Cubs. Yes. Tom actually has one of, my, one of my replicas. I think he has it in his office. Same as um, what Matt was saying, having the paintings, you know, super cool to have them in places like that too. It just means something. They're totems. Their energy, they're charged with something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was weird. I met Tom at this charity that I was doing. I would just do paintings for the charity, give the paintings free and clear to the charity, no charge at all. And then I would sell prints. So it's like I met a lot of the players, Ryan Sandberg, Wilson Contreras. I met Tom uh, Ricketts. Ryan Sandberg, yeah. Super cool. So I'm like, I share this. Like I was able to share the video with Tom of my dad and he had never even seen it. He's like, what is, what, what? And he's like, man, that is, he's like, you're just so like, that's beautiful. He signed a, like something for me to give to my dad. You know, it was cool. And I gave him one of these. The original painting is 30 by 40. So I gave him one of the, the replicas. I have a limited edition of 25. And I gave him like number one in the edition that day. But it's like, man, it's so crazy. I did Artunity won People's Choice for Startup of the Year in 2019. Okay. I went down to New Orleans to do this Startup of the Year competition. It was a pitch competition with a bunch of different startups. Long story short of that, I wound up in New Orleans because I met a guy from Chicago that I was looking to do the coding in New Orleans, even though he was from Chicago at an event that I did, only to find out that when he came back to Chicago and I'm like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and come on with your guys' firm. He's like, actually, I got hired by these guys out in New Orleans. So now I'm working back in New Orleans. It's like all these weird, like mm. compounding synchronicities, you know. So I'm out in New Orleans doing this startup of the year thing. We win people's choice. Then I get invited back as the top 100 startups. And this event is in Memphis. So we're in Memphis and I'm going down with Artunity. I've got a demo of what I want this next phase of it to be live. It's chance to win.art. That's the URL. Super dope URL. Chance to win.art. Don't have to spell it out. It pretty much tells you exactly what it does in the URL, right? It's a three-banger site, so you'll only see three pieces of work at any given time. So when we get one of yours up, yours will be one of the three pieces when we do like the, the Van Gogh Punk yeah. or when we do the CM Crypto Punk. Probably do the Van Gogh one first. So it's like it creates a certain amount of FOMO, you know what I mean? Because there's only three pieces. And it's basically just like I can't scale this version of the technology. So it's like three pieces, that's good. Let me just get some big wins, get some traction. Then we're going to be able to get the investment dollars back in. I actually just want to some money at this pitch competition last Saturday as well. So that's going to fuel some of this stuff with Artunity. Yeah, so it's all coming together. But I'm down in Memphis and we had these at the beginning of, I think the first day that we were in, we had these little mentor sessions. So they were like 15 minute speed dating sessions, right? And you got paired up with like three or four different people that they thought would be fit with where you were at. So... The first guy I sit with talks to me about pitching. That's, his whole thing was about helping you refine your pitch, your performance and stuff. I learned two or three things from this guy that change, will change how I pitch forever. It was just amazing. Awesome. I'm like, this is already off to a great start, right? What are they? Well, one, of course, is maintaining your balance posture. Gary will talk uh-huh. about this. He gets excited 
And because you're so high energy, you start bouncing around and stuff. And that's yeah. me. But it becomes distracting. Plant yourself. You know, the other thing he talks about is attention. So you get into the room, especially if you've already six other people pitching or an audience that has people on their fucking cell phones. Da, da, da. You get in, you do something bombastic, maybe, but you, you lead with a question and you definitely stop. And even in the middle of it, see the question and that stops and gets the people to pay attention to what you're asking them. It gets them engaged, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was great because, man, when I went in for my pitch in Memphis, like you only have a certain amount of time too. It's like two minute pitch, right? I hijacked the fuck out of that because I went in and I started kind of my pitch before they could even start the clock. You know what I mean? I'm going in like, show of hands, how many people here appreciate art? Okay, show of hands, how many people here also use social media? Give me my fucking clicker. Where's my clicker? But the time's not started yet. So yeah. I'm already got them going though. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I didn't have that in my pitch until I sat down with this dude. Right. Perfect. Amazing. Super cool dude. My second meeting, I go to cool, good connection stuff. Well, one of the meetings I had set up for, wild as it is, was somebody that I serendipitously had picked to want to have as a meeting person. Steve Haas is his name. I got to reconnect with him. That was definitely a good thing. But we get we move into our third meeting and the guy's not there. And I'm like, all right. So I'm like kind of looking at my clock and I'm like, all right, what, you know, what's going on here? And it's like 30 seconds pass. I mean, this is timed shit, right? So I'm like, where is this dude? And I'm, again, the same way that I don't get starstruck, I'm also not going to be like, I'm like, yo, you fucking respect my time. Right. I respect yours. So I'm like, who is this clown making me sit here, look like a dickhead at this empty table? Forget that. That's not my energy. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here looking like a scrub. You know what I mean? So like I'm with me and my guy that came down with me, I'm like, let's, let's get out of here, man. So we walk away just to be in enough of an earshot where I'm kind of talking about our tunity with him, just getting excited. Uh, this other dude, and he overhears, he's mentoring his person, right? But he overhears what I'm saying. He's like, I'm deeply apologetic. Give me just one second. I'll be right back. I hear him saying this to the person because he's close enough. He comes over and he's like, listen, his name's Larry. He goes, you have to reach out to this guy. Gives me an email, bump it, bump it, bump. Goes back to his person. And I'm like, well, that was super cool, right? We leave, we go in, we're going on a break. I see Larry then walking by again. And I'm like, yo, Larry, get over here. I got to talk to you about some shit. So we start talking. Come to find out he's from Chicago. Oh, nice. Okay, so he's my freaking neighbor now, right? That's crazy. So we're talking about stuff and he says, I, I was like, well, so you a Cubs fan, you know? And he's like, yeah, of course I'm a Cubs fan. He goes, actually, and I, so I was like, show him the thing with my dad, you know? And he's like, wow, that's amazing. He's like, you got to show that, you got to get that to Tom Ricketts. I'm like, yeah, actually, I already saw it. He saw it at a, a charity meeting. It was real kind of quick, whatever though. And he's like, yeah, but just, just send it to him again. Send him an email. He's like, I'm like, yeah, get cool, Larry, but I'm not like connected to Tom, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, listen, just put it in and tell him Larry sent you. He's like, I've been best friends with Tom since we were kids. Oh, get out of here. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? What? I so anyway, I talked to Larry we're in, and I find out that he's, he does some like mentoring and stuff at University of Chicago. And like, so we're just rapping and just on the super cool level, 
super fun dude. And so then we leave that one. I run into this dude three more times. I mean, we're in Memphis. It's like, yeah, of course we're there for the same event. But like the one night that it mattered the most, we went out, we were going on Beale Street just to check it out, you know? Yeah. All of the steps mattered. Every little, like that icicle falling, the shoe tying, you know, stopping in to grab this beer. That place didn't like have a bathroom. So you had to go to a different place to get the beer to go to the bathroom. All this shit matters. You know what I mean? So then I'm standing on the corner. We're just about to go back to the room. And all of a sudden, Larry by himself is walking by. And I'm like, yo, what's up, dude? And so then we start talking. Now we're just talking about families. We're talking about, you know, relationships, all this stuff. He tells me, he says, you know what? My sister, she went by the, this is one of the stories I remember distinctly. She goes by the Don Knotts Museum. Now, can you imagine that she drove by the Don Knotts Museum and didn't stop and get something for me? He's like, I hate Don Knotts, but how can you not go into the Don Knotts Museum <laughs> and get something, right? So immediately bookmarked in my head. Let me grab this real quick. I'm like, I'm doing a gift for Larry. A hundred percent. Oh, yes. Yes. So I don't know Don Knotts. Illustration. Yes. Don Knotts is, is tatted up with, He's got uh, like some, and he given the middle finger. Given the middle finger, he's got some hipster glasses on. Yeah. yeah. And he's all, all purple and, and green, you know, totally, uh, totally vibing. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm going to do this 100%. Get it to Larry. So we meet again, like my brother, he's managing Pizzeria Uno downtown. So I'm like, one day when we come back into town, I'm like, yo, Larry, let's meet up. Let's get some, get somebody. We stop at Uno. Dave sets us up, takes care of us and everything. Super cool. And I give him this piece, you know, and he loved it. He just was like a riot, you know? So we're like super connect. We like, we talk constantly. Like I could hit text him right now and we, we just get together. We got together for coffee like a few weeks ago. That's amazing. He hadn't heard about NFTs yet. I was like, yo, man, you got to check out the space. It's super cool. It's crazy. Because yeah. of course I'm going to say, hey, yo, you should tell Tom I got this NFT available, the painting. Because I mean, if there's anybody that can afford it, it's Tom. That's right. You know I mean, he's got yeah. the scratch and it yeah. makes sense. Well, it's another funny set of uh, coincidence. I had done this charity event at Harry Carey's restaurant. I did this painting at Harry Carey. It's called Reflections. It's got the ring like reflecting in his iconic huge glasses. Yeah. <laughs> and I go in, right? And this is where we just treat people like they're people. I go into this event at Harry Carey's restaurant. I have the painting and I get stopped by this lady. She sees it and she's like, this is amazing. Holy shit. Come over here. Come over here. And she's talking to her husband and she's like, you've got to see this. And then we're talking and I'm amped and I'm just going off on the art and I'm sharing my dad's story, sharing how I got connected to doing these charities and everything. And Grant says, we got to win this tonight. We're winning this. There's no way we're not winning this. We got to have this. And so I'm like, we're just talking. And then I'm like, so yes, that's cool. What do you guys, you know, what do you do? What's your involvement in things? Like, oh, we own the place. You know, it's like they own Harry Carey's restaurants. Like, oh, well, that's interesting. Come to find out Grant paid, I think it was $114,000 for the Bartman ball. I don't know if you know the whole Bartman yes, ball. Legacy, yeah, I do. Right? Yeah. The, the yeah. cursed baseball. He yeah. paid $114,000 for the Bartman ball just so he could blow it up. <laughs> right? So I did a painting for Grant because here's what happened. He got called into a media interview right when the auction was ending for the Harry Carey painting and didn't get it and was so bummed. So like I gave him, there's, I gave him like a, a few prints and one for uh, Harry's wife. 
And, but then I did an original for him. That is the world series trophy with the ball exploding over top of it. Nice. Because he, he, you know, he claims that he's the one that ended the curse by blowing up the ball yeah. and it's all, it's all due to him. So anyway, it's just funny. I got a piece right over here. It's, it's actually a replica of one of my prints that's signed by Eddie Vedder that was sent back to me by Eddie because I met, listen, I, I met, I met Ron Santo Jr. Okay. Uh, and Ron I, Santo's good friends with Eddie. Oh and so like I, I had a piece, I was going to give him a bigger piece. And he's like, I just don't have space for it. He's like, can he send me out some prints and then I'll send him back one sign. So I got here, I got to show you then. So it's right here. Dude, my favorite band of all time is Pearl Look Jam. At, yeah, it says 2J all the way. We did it. Eddie Better. You know what I mean? And so it's like these crazy things just overlapping. Even Gary was talking about the notion of provenance to be able to say, uh, if you could say you were the first person on the Pearl Jam, like you just said. You yeah. Say, Whoa, I was yeah. there first. You know what yeah. I mean? So, I mean, it's weird. It's crazy. I had a person that knew Ron Santo Jr. through working through charities. I did wow. a piece of Ron Santo that I gave to him on Father's Day. And Ron Santo is a super cool guy, down to earth. And Ron Santo Sr. was like just listening to him do broadcast was like my favorite way to take in the Cubs. Honestly, after Ron Santo passed, I stopped paying attention even more to the Cubs. I'm not near as big of a fan as my brother and my dad is. Yeah. Um, and that was like a huge part of it was just listening to Ron. I'd watch it on TV with Ron talking in the background and turn down the, the TV announcer. That's know. how I listen to Yankee games. Uh, there you go. Is I watch Yankee games on TV, but I prefer John Sterling and Susan Waldman as sure. my background. I grew up listening to Scooter. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can't think of his name, his name right now. But uh, so like radio and baseball go hand in hand for me. For sure. Oh, for sure. It's like you said, it's with that Matt interview, you said it's a very uh, introverted. It's open to introverts even more. And the notion of its pacing and the, the, that you can be away from people that you yes. said your, your worst time was when you were on the bench because that's when you had to interact with people. And yeah. I think just the, that's the whole sport all the way through. It's just, you know, it doesn't have the same kind. It doesn't live at the same speed as the rest of life, no. especially now. I loved, I loved being out in the field. It's like I would mark my territory. Yeah. You know, like I'd yeah. go out to second base and I would, I would just walk it and like, like claim it, you know? And right. It was my space. And That's I don't cool. know. I just, I love something about that. Before we go, I want to ask sure. you about one thing. Yep. We talked about reinvestment. We kind of mm -hmm. glossed over it, but I think this is an important piece for, artists who are listening to this podcast. We talked about how I made this 50,000 over 60 days. I immediately reinvested all of that into right. the podcast, into other content that I'm bringing into the space. Uh, for me, that is like, I'm bootstrapping it and I'm bootstrapping this business with my art. And so how do you reinvest in your own self? I think it's both financial and spiritually, mm -hmm. you know, we really have to like, that's where I said, like taking the time to start looking at and appreciating all these little connections that pop up. Then, they, then you start to appreciate people. Then you invest, you reinvest into you're unwittingly doing it. You're not doing it because of that. You know, I mean, even biblically, which I'm not a super religious person, 
you know, you're not supposed to let your right hand know what your left hand does when you're giving in a, in a charitable sense. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're doing it not for that. But if you give and you pay attention, you build that up for yourself regardless. It's impossible not to. And then financially, of course, there's a book called The Richest Man in Babylon that really outlines. I mean, this is like this is heavy, heavy duty material. We're going into some of the real, real stuff. You know what I mean? But it talks about how you should invest your money. And there's ways to really articulate that that I, we don't have the time for. But all told, I would, I would always say, if it came from this place, let it put some food on the table. Starving artists no more, you know? But let it not turn into glitz and glamour. Mm-hmm. At least not right away. Let's make sure that we, that we pave the road to building bigger and better things first and foremost. So I would always default to, on the financial sense, erring on the side of putting more in. And when you have that confidence, I think, again, the universe responds to that confidence, not in some like hokey pokey way. It's necessity breeds invention. So if you're hungry and that's how you went and got something, then you spent all your money on something appropriate for what you're doing that's going to allow you to expand, that's going to allow that hunger to then be fulfilled again, then it's just a compounding effort. You know what I mean? So it's like, we can't shirk from it. Again, another biblical thing, which I, I, I don't know why, but I got to go to it if it's a real a real example. There's the notion of the talents that were given to either three servants or three sons, whichever way you look at it. One person buried it, right? Because the master or the father was really strict about the, the finances and how things came about. The second one invested a little bit and the last one invested a lot, Right went super risky and found out that he was rewarded tenfold. The middle son invested a little bit, made a little bit back. The other servant son buried it and said, here it is, at least I gave it back to you. I didn't want it, you know. So the father slash master was upset and took away all of that son's resources and gave it to the other two sons Mm. because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. So it's like the notion is universally what we don't use, we lose. Yes. What we, what, you know, is given to us will be taken away if we don't use it. I'm, I was a personal trainer for a time too. And of course, being an athlete, you would know this uh, at different points in time that- Former like, athlete. Well, former athlete, but it doesn't matter. You've been through the, pro- <laughs> you've been through the process. Yes. That's what I'm yeah. saying. That we know that a muscle unused atrophies. Yes. Right? Now, let's, let's take this to another level. I have this notion that the heart- is a muscle, right? Absolutely. It's a physical muscle. So yes, without cardiovascular work, it atrophies, but the heart is also a spiritual, emotional muscle. So without love, without that practice, without that, what you're doing with your podcast, it will atrophy. So the notion is use what we have with purpose yeah. and it will be compounded and revisited upon you tenfold. I love that. One of the reasons I am doing this podcast is to help other artists who don't have an opportunity to share their voice or tell their story. It's not for me. Like, you know, I do a really, it is in that for me, there is great pleasure in meeting new people. Sure. But I'm doing this because I want to hear your story and I want other people to hear your story. I think that only if this is my way of sharing what I can do and reinvesting in other people and helping them make money, 
I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do my job. Do it's priceless. I, I mean, yeah. like I said, when I saw you in the Gary connection, because I pay homage and I recognize and I call this magic exactly what it is, I immediately reached out to you. You did. Because why wouldn't I? I mean, it's too miraculous. And I already knew that it was going to come to fruition. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like so many people shirk that because of like, I guess, a fear. You know, there's the notion that there's delusions of grandeur. I think that the delusion is of mediocrity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we've been told that we're just basic. But again, we're miracles. We went over that one in 10 with 2,685,500 zeros behind it. Mm -hmm. We are living, walking miracles. So act as such invest in yourself, believe in that. I know that our relationship is just beginning. And so that's awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's leave it there. I think this was one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had. Oh man, that's beautiful. dude. That means a lot for real. Thank you. Can I share real quickly too, to make sure that if artists are listening, like I said, my goal is to get into the place where I can help as many as I can as well. And so that's what you're doing here is helping connect and the and the full transparency is, of course, that by helping validate artists, it validates the idea that I have an opportunity. Yes. So you know, going to chance to win art, even just signing up for the email list on chance to win art, will like give me traction. Like I've got investors that are ready to put money into this thing to help us make this a more expansive experience, a more profound reality, but they can't see beyond their nose of numbers. And so I don't have a Medici that's just ready to give the the cash. Instead, they want to see this spelled out for them. And so by signing up, you actually self-manifest this thing with us. You make it part of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So chance to win that art or following me on Instagram at JJ Weinberg. I'm talking to people. Like I said, that guy caught on Clubhouse today, Dominic, like he was catching so much blowback from the community because he was looking at it from a more traditional lens married to NFTs. And he's like, I just didn't understand it. He's like, thanks so much for coming in here and helping talk to a couple of us. And these are guys that have 125,000 followers on Instagram that are yep. catching heat. Of course they are. From artists that have 3,000 followers on Instagram telling them how to do the NFT space. Like, okay, cool, man. But how about there's probably a way that they know how to interact with their audience. You know what I mean? With their fan base. So... You know, yeah. there's they're no, excited. Yeah, there's no one way to do NFTs. There's no one way to do art. Right. Uh, but to completely dismiss 100,000 followers as if it's the wrong thing to do. This is what right. I was talking about earlier, why Clubhouse frustrates me and why I don't, sure. why I don't usually go on Clubhouse is because 100%. this is how I want to give back. I've tried being on Clubhouse, but you get drowned out by the noise. There's so, there are a couple of rooms though that I'm in that yeah. seem to be, I th- that I'm gonna I'll ping you. You know Please what I ping mean? Me, yeah. There's one on Monday night. It's the first one I ever went in, dude. That's what I'm saying. It's all magic. Like yeah. it's unbelievable that I would have got this iPad when I did. Got invited or selected a couple of random rooms, land in the one that is exactly the opposite of what you're talking about. Yeah. And then Do you remember I, the name of it? It's um, NFT Hype Beast. It's my boy Arts. He actually has a okay. text to me right now. I got to like, I'll respond to him after this because like we're working on some collaboration stuff. Yeah. And it's just a super aligned, purpose-filled room. Love it. You know what I mean? And like, that's what the people were saying. Like you said, this was a great conversation. I landed in that room the first time I'm ever on and everybody in the room was like, this is the fucking best 
clubhouse room I've ever been in. And I'm like, oh, so you're telling me that my experience of clubhouse isn't what it is entirely, <laughs> but which is, is cool because that's the only one that I go in now, really. I, I do jump into some every once in a while, like the one I did today, just because serendipitously it landed on freaking Android and yeah. I end up connecting with a guy that's already been in my space in a way. And I'm like, this is just too crazy. But overall, I've definitely heard what you're talking about. Yeah. Some of the kind of like the people will come into that room and say, yeah, these other rooms, they're all like, you know, born to shill and they're all fucking like patronizing and they're all like fluffing each other's balls and all that kind of stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? With I, like, don't need, I don't need a professional ball fluffer. Exactly. You know, where's the hot sauce with the, you know, oh. we don't need, <laughs> you know, that's, you yeah. know, that's a thing, right? I, I learned that I learned that from my favorite one of my favorites, Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> you know, that's how I they didn't know that. So there's a, there's a Curb Your Enthusiasm where they say that the way that the, the guy is a porn star in this like dinner conversation they're having. Yeah. And so it becomes this really awkward conversation. And I think Larry's kind of like, what the hell is going on? And there's all around. And the guy says, yeah, no, what you do is they would take the hot sauce, and stick it right up your ass. And like that helps you keep the, the erection going. <laughs> But anyway, I you love know, it. We could, we could go all around yeah. uh, and back again, man. It's been super magical to talk to you, dude. Same here. Keep the conversation going and get. Let's look on. Let's look at getting that Vinny going first and foremost, man. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.